Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. If you're anything like me, your mind has been racing a little bit extra these days. A couple years ago, I developed a habit in my own life that helps bring me some peace and helps put my mind at ease. What I do is I I simply think about something beautiful or fun and I just dwell on that one thing and sometimes it helps me fall asleep at night. One of my favorite memories that I always return to is of a place called Point Doom, spelled D-U-M-E. It's in Malibu um, and I have fond memories of four of my friends from seminary and I waking up twice a week at around 4.30 in the morning and making the hour-long drive from Pasadena to just near Zuma Beach. And we'd get there while it was still pitch black and we'd walk out on top of these cliffs. We couldn't see anything, but we'd listen. And if there were thunderous crashes, then we would grab our boards and we would scurry down this steep set of metal stairs down to the beach and right as the first light emerged we would enter the cold morning water and paddle out to surf as the sun rose over the cliffs the beauty of that place would become more and more breathtaking this clear blue water in this sheltered cove there'd be sea life all around us And soon the morning chill would be replaced by the warmth of the sun on our backs. And we'd surf for hours. And then we'd make the drive back, take a shower, and we'd have enough time for a 30-minute nap before our 11 a.m. class. It's priorities, you know. Those are some of my favorite memories. But for all of that place's magic in my life, I would have never dared to enter that water before the light. There were too many treacherous obstacles that I needed to be able to navigate. The goodness, the fun, and the joy of that place were dependent on the light of the sun. That's because light is essential for life. And that is why Jesus called himself the light of the world. As God in the flesh, he is essential. He is the creator and sustainer. He is the source. We're in the midst of a sermon series on Jesus's I am statements. It is a very timely series for us to be in, in such a pivotal moment in our human history. It is in times like these that we absolutely need to return to a focus on Jesus and who he says that he is. And as we consider this morning's I am statement, I want us to be reminded of a C.S. Lewis quote that will help frame this sermon. And I believe should actually frame our perspective of the chaos that has been building around us these past few weeks. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, 
I see everything else. Jesus is the light by which we see everything. The Apostle John was convinced of this. In fact, from start to finish, John loved to proclaim this truth. From the first few sentences in his first book, his gospel, to the last few verses of his final book, the book of Revelation, John pointed to the eternal reality that Jesus is the true light of God. John 1 says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And when Jesus burst forth onto the scene and began his ministry in earnest, he proclaimed in a very dramatic way that he was the living God and the light of the world. So let us turn there together in our scripture this morning. Turn to John 8 in a Bible or an app or even on the computer that you might be using right now. And while you're getting there, I'll pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would speak to us clearly, that we might understand what you want to say to us, that you would open up our hearts and minds to experience you fully. God, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you. Jesus, be glorified and magnified. It's in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's begin at verse 12. It's John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We're going to pause here. I want us to, to first look back at verses 12 and 13. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Do you see this? Jesus makes this radical claim. And then the entire conversation gets sidetracked on a technicality. And I just want to take a moment to try to explain the absurdity of this. 
What's going on here is Jesus is talking in the temple in Jerusalem. It just so happens that the Jews are celebrating what's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And during that feast, there was a great ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple, which involved the ritual lighting of these four gigantic golden oil-fed lamps. These lamps were huge candelabras. They were 75 feet high, lighted in the temple at night to remind the people of the pillar of fire that had guided Israel in their wilderness journey. All night long, the lights illuminated the entire city of Jerusalem. And so picture this, Jesus is speaking in the midst of these massive temple fires all around him that are supposed to be the presence of God. And he proclaimed to be the light of the world. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was making a radical statement to stand in the middle of the temple in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles and say, I am the light, was like saying, I am the glory of God. I am the pillar of fire. I mean, it is hard to imagine a more graphic claim to deity. But look how the Pharisees responded to this. They didn't call him a blasphemer. They didn't stone him. They instead repeated something back to Jesus that he had said in John 5.31. Jesus had said, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so the religious leaders think they finally have their gotcha moment in their case against Jesus. They think they have caught Jesus bearing witness about himself without having any other witnesses to confirm what he is saying. And if you are confused right now, I want you to know that I'm also a little bit confused. Here these Pharisees are getting all riled up because Jesus isn't meeting some sufficient guidelines for making such a claim. All the while they are seemingly neglecting the fact that Jesus is standing in their midst proclaiming to be God. And I think this is a prime example of the old expression, missing the forest for the trees. And the sad part is, the younger generations have never heard that expression before, including my, my wife. Basically, it means that the Pharisees are missing the bigger picture. And Jesus tried to guide them back to the real meaning behind what he's saying. So he highlights his relationship with his heavenly father. And he even says that he does, in fact, have a second witness. His second witness is God himself. What they needed were eyes to see. Jesus isn't arguing here that he is the light. He is making a true statement. Jesus is making an I am statement. It is because it is. Truth is truth. And by the way, he also says that. Jesus says, I am the truth. And I want to stop here and I want to speak to those of you who might be on the fence about Jesus. Our belief or unbelief in Jesus Christ as the light of the world, as the Son of God, as the Redeemer, has no impact on whether or not it's true. Either it is true or it isn't whether you believe it or not. 
Now, I would invite you to examine the evidence for yourself, to consider the Bible and its reliability. Examine what Jesus says and does. But ultimately, God is the one who reveals truth to us. The Bible teaches us that we are actually dead until God breathes life into us. Dead people don't see anything. When Jesus gives you life, that's when your eyes are opened up and you can see the light. Jesus opens up the eyes of the blind and shows them the light. And my prayer is that he might do that for some of you even this morning. And that's precisely what happens to some. Some eyes are opened up to their spiritual blindness in this passage. If you look at John 8, verse 30, it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I want to point out the result here. In this particular passage, Jesus performs no miracle. He does no great sign. He is simply talking about who he is. And there seems to be a lot of confusion from his audience. But miraculously, people in the end believe him. They come to faith in him as the true light of the world, as the living God. Jesus had healed their spiritual blindness and opened up the eyes of their heart in order that they might see him clearly. But what about after that moment? What does knowing Jesus as the light of the world do for believers as they journey through the rest of their lives? To answer these questions, we must get a better biblical understanding of light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this particular audience of Jewish leaders listening to him would probably have remembered some verses in the Old Testament that refer to light. They might have thought about Psalm 27.1 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Light is intertwined with salvation. Light dispels fear. They could have remembered Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God's law lights our path so we know exactly how to walk in his righteousness. They would have almost certainly recalled Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So the Word of God brought forth light, and then light brought order to the chaos and to the emptiness. So a quick recap of three Old Testament views of light. First, light overcomes fear, and it's associated with salvation. Second, light illuminates God's law and helps us to walk in righteousness. And then third, light brings order to chaos. And the New Testament agrees with these Old Testament functions of light, but it also goes on to develop the role of light further. And I want to highlight two main purposes of light for you this morning that are clearly found throughout the New Testament. First, light exposes sin and darkness. 
Second, light enables us to see goodness. And I believe when you put these two things together, the Bible teaches us that the light of Christ is the only way by which and through which we can actually and properly see the world. So first, the light of Christ exposes sin and darkness. We are all painfully aware that there is darkness in the world. Death and disease are closing in on us as we speak. And since we know Jesus, we also know that this is not his intention. We know that Jesus wants shalom for his creation. That means he wants his creation to experience universal flourishing. And that's not, as a whole, what we're experiencing right now. But the light of Christ does not just expose the darkness all around us. Jesus is the light that searches our own hearts and roots out all areas of sin and decay that live in each and every one of us. Jesus' light is the refining fire that purifies our lives in order that we might be made holy. 1 John says this in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we, came, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Are you sensing that during this pandemic, God might be uncovering some buried sin in your own life? I hope you are. I think that's a good thing. I believe, along with many others, that this whole situation is going to refine God's church and his people. And I'll just speak for myself. I'm being exposed daily right now. I have nowhere to hide. I'm trapped at home with my family who knows me best. My selfishness is being brought to light daily. My impatience, my fear, my entitlement, my idols, the light of Christ is unmasking these sins of mine. And I got to be honest with you, it hurts. The light pierces me. It humbles me. But I just want to share one way that I think God deals with us graciously as the light shines in the darkest areas of our own lives. About a week ago, during the chaos of trying to adapt to this new way of life, I was home alone with my boys trying to do work and prepare food for them and everything else. And I lost my patience with Silas, my almost four-year-old. And I yelled at him. And I'll never forget this. Silas calmly turned around. He looked me right in my eyes. And he simply said, I love you, Dad. And in that moment, I knew 
that I had not only sinned against him, but I also knew that I did not want to sin against him anymore. That reminder made me just focus on the fact that God deals with us so graciously, so lovingly, even as he exposes sin in our own lives, even as he refines us. And that leads nicely into the second point this morning, that the light of Christ enables us to see goodness. It allows us to see the world through the loving lens of Jesus. And already during this pandemic, we are actually seeing some really good things. We're seeing families draw closer to one another. The earth is getting a much needed rest as we see the air and water are actually becoming cleaner and clearer. Some of our idols are being abolished. Many of us are praying more. We're surrendering more. We're rediscovering the importance of Sabbath. And that's just to name a few. So have you already seen some goodness during this very difficult and dark time? I want to share one story of how the light of Christ is working during this time. My wife, Lalia, is a physician, physician assistant, and she received this report from the front lines from a doctor in Italy. This is what the doctor wrote. I am writing from Milan, which is actually the most affected city in Italy. To be honest, the situation is dramatic. We had to create four new intensive care units to treat intubated patients. All patients in these critical care units are on CPAP for 8 to 12 hours a day. Our biggest trouble is that we are now noticing that even men who are 40 and younger are developing very bad pneumonia. I was called back to work on the only weekend that I had to be with my children. What can I say? We are in pieces. We are getting sick. There are not many of us and we have 80 patients waiting to be admitted to the ER. Thursday night alone, I was in charge of 40 patients. It is inhuman for us and for them, for their families and for our families. I don't know what makes sense anymore. These patients die badly, provided there is such a thing as a good death. This is dark. It's harrowing and it's frightening. But a new day has dawned and light has broken in. There is goodness to be seen in the midst of this wretched catastrophe. I want you to watch this video clip with me.
Did you happen to recognize the song that those Italians were singing from the confines of their own home as many of their loved ones and friends are, are getting sick? They're singing, How Great Is Our God. The first verse of that song declares, He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. What kind of faith is this? Who can yell from the windows that God is great while there is death and sickness all around? The only answer is people who know the light and have the light. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look closely at Jesus' words. Those who follow Jesus, those who surrender to him as Lord, will have the light of life. They will literally possess the light of life. And that is what gives us the confidence to walk into the darkness. There is a scene in the Disney classic, The Lion King, in which Mufasa and Simba are sitting on a cliff. Mufasa says, look, Simba, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. And the young lion wows in, in amazement as his father continues. He explains, a king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. And this will be all mine, says Simba. Everything, answers Mufasa. But Simba clarifies, everything the light touches but what about the shadowy place way out there? Mufasa explains, that is beyond our borders. You must never go there, Simba. As Christians, we know that we have but one king whose reign will never end. We are in the midst of a dawn of a new day that is being brought to completion. And our king has given us a commandment we are to go into the shadowy place. His kingdom has no borders. We are called to bring forth the light of Christ into every deep, dark nook and cranny of this world until that day that Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom in fullness. The book of Revelation paints a picture of how things will come to pass. Revelation 21 verses 22 through 25 say, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there.
we know what happens in the end. There will be no need for the sun nor for the moon because all of creation will be lit by the glory of God. The lamb is the lamp and his eternal presence means that the enemy will be vanquished forever and darkness will be no more. Yes, we can and we probably should to some degree lament about our current situation. We can agree on the fact that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. We can be grieved by sin and death. We can have godly sorrow about our own sin and how we contribute to the problems in this world. The light actually makes these things even more glaring. But the light also provides us hope. We get excited when a dark corner is lit up and exposed. We are thrilled when people receive the light and we celebrate the undeniable reality that the light is going to win in the end. All of its brilliance will made, be made fully known once and for all. And as I close this morning, I want to give you a very practical application for the current situation that many of us find ourselves in right now. There's a wonderful Presbyterian pastor named Richard Halverson who used to end each one of his services with these words. He would say, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in you being there. Christ, who indwells in you, has something he wants to do through you, wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. As you are in your home, remember something. Remember that God has a purpose in your being there. Christ, who indwells in you, has something he wants to do in you and through you, in your own home and in your family. And I believe that when we emerge on the other side of this, that the church will absolutely be better for it. We will look more like Christ, and therefore we will be better equipped to serve and love our communities. Pray with me. Jesus, light of the world, God incarnate, do work. Pierce through the darkness in our lives and let your light flood in so that we might look and act more like you. Give us hope. Give us faith that one day soon you will make all things right and you will devour all darkness by your glorious light. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.